0: This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email Joe at directly. What's up, everyone? This is episode 159 of the Wax Museum Podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards, from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Podcast, and my Twitter is at PC. Well, um, I want to start off today by thanking those of you that reached out after last week's episode I'll say I had a number of people that congratulated me on the Dampier patch showing up. And quite frankly, I still can't believe that one made it here. Um, I had a lot of people asking how I made custom cards for the Pacers Magic game that I talked about. I'm going to try and get a video tutorial up at some point if I can find the time. Because I, I do want to answer that. Uh, but sometimes visuals are better. And... Um, then I even had a listener that sent me a Jalen Smith autograph because I wasn't able to get him at the game. So uh, thank you, Rold, for doing that. Uh, I really, really appreciate that. All right, as far as this week's episode goes, um, I'm going to bypass the usual mail segment, and I think I'm going to save that for a later date so I can bring you a recent conversation I had with Carter, a.k.a. MC Basketball PC, on Instagram. I had a lot of fun chatting with him. And I'll have that for you here in a moment. Before I play that for you, though, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum
1: Podcast. Boom, baby!
0: Okay, so joining me today is someone that you've heard on the show before in the form of the Collector Classifieds. I feel like every time I scroll through my Instagram feeds, his post and his collection are a pattern interrupter. and I mean that in a good way. Um, I'm also a little jealous that his NBA team is so exciting to watch right now and they play my pacers this week. Carter, we've heard your voice before, but it's nice to finally have a real conversation. How's it going, man? This is well with my soul. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, little sleep deprived after springing forward that hour, but you know, I'll recover.
1: Yeah, no, I, I totally get that, man. I pulled a 20-hour day yesterday and then lost my hour, so I'm, I'm catching up big time. Might take a, I don't know what segment you may have for naps, but uh, it would be welcome.
0: <laughs> well, I laid on the couch and watched the Hoosiers game, so uh, I guess I don't have as much of an excuse to be tired as you do, but we're going to learn in a little bit why you worked so hard yesterday. It wasn't an actual vocation. Uh, but it was a hobby, right? But we all know the the Mark Twain right. story where he says, you know, essentially, if, if your work is something you enjoy, it's not work. Um, we'll talk about that shortly. But before we get there, uh, I feel like we need to get to know a little bit more about you. And anytime I have someone on here for the first time, I've got to figure out their collecting history or I've got to have them tell me they're collecting history. And I alluded mm-hmm. to your Memphis Grizzlies already. But, you know, relatively speaking, they're still a pretty young franchise, They don't have the history that a lot of squads do. So I'd love to learn more. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit about yourself, becoming a Grizzlies fan, your collecting history, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, so um, my recent history is pretty young. Um, I got back into collecting in early 2019, in January of that year. And uh, my younger days was uh, Pokemon. That was when I was a a kid. I, I got into that first wave of Pokemon cards and that was my first exposure to collecting cards. It was centered around playing the game on the sidewalk with my neighborhood friends. And, uh, that went on for, you know, several years into my childhood. That was really my experience with actively collecting. Uh, I also had some row boxes of '90s sports cards, all major sports, even some random like Corvette cards, uh, hockey was in there, uh, Marvel cards, things like that. But that was given to me by my grandfather who got it, he was a landlord, got it from somebody who either moved out hastily or was evicted. It's a little hazy there, but, uh, (laughs) but they left behind all these row boxes of cards and he gave them to me. And part of me was like, man, why did this guy leave behind all of his sports cards? And I realized later on it was because most of them were junk. Um, and then I was like, why did he only have junk cards? Then later on I realized he didn't, he just took the boxes that mattered to him, which on this side of things makes sense to me. If I was moving out with little notice, I think there might be some boxes I would leave behind too. Uh, but I didn't actively collect sports cards when I was that age. I collected my Pokemon cards and then, um, you know, just had the sports cards. I would take them out every once in a while and look at them. And, and that kind of went on for a while. Eventually, when I stopped collecting Pokemon cards as a kid, I didn't actively collect anything until 2019. And the way that I got in at that point was just standing in line at the self-checkout at Walmart back in the days when the, that shelf was full you know, and there was a mm-hmm. clearance aisle, you know, there's even a clearance shelf with a bunch of blaster boxes on there. You know, hoops it was like old specifically. Hoops, hoops specifically. <laughs> no, I'm glad you said that because hoops specifically is what single handedly brought me back into the hobby. So, uh, you can say it sucks, but <laughs> I, I owe a debt of gratitude. And so, uh, I was, I was standing there and I just decided to throw in a little rack pack. I was like, I have not looked at sports cards in forever. I want to see what these look like. And, uh, when I got home, I opened them up and I was looking through, I was like, Oh, these are kind of cool. You know, this is, this is neat. And I came across a Luca Doncic rookie card and you know, Luca was the, was it. And so I was like, well, this is interesting. And it wasn't just any rookie card. It was a, it was a shiny one. I was like, "Hmm." Hmm. And so I looked it up, um, figured out that it was the teal explosion parallel. And I saw that it was going on eBay for 65 bucks against the $5 that I'd spent. And so uh, I was hooked from there, <laughs> right? <laughs> it, that card is worth considerably more than 65, uh, at this point. Um, and I've, I've managed to hang on to it because it's just, it's, it re, every time I look at it, it reminds me of, you know, how far I've come and and right. how I kind of got back on this track
0: experience value too. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. So from there, I started really getting into Grizzlies cards because, you know, I'm, I'm from Memphis and I live in Memphis. And so that's kind of my, um, you know, If I'm going to be in this, that's going to be my draw. So I start collecting a bunch of Grizzlies and go through that kind of process of figuring out which players I want to collect and all that. I'm, I'm really focusing on the core four from the you know 2010s era of Mark Casale, uh, Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, those guys primarily. And what I quickly realized as I started getting bug-eyed over um, jersey cards, autograph cards, serial numbered stuff, I'm just like, I want it all. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how do I build a collection that, that I enjoy, that I'm proud of. And, uh, and it was actually, I don't think I've told you this. I I believe I've told Steve this, um, but I was listening to your podcast, um, early on into my phase, you know, when I dive into something, I research everything, whatever found your basketball card podcast. And I I was listening to Steve talk about how he, um, became a Jay Crowder collector. Mm -hmm. And that's when it kind of resonated with me. I was like, man, I need to pick a player. And so that's how I really landed on Mike Conley as my main guy. I can get a little bit more into that later about the details of that. But um, that's when my, my collection started to take focus. When I started focusing on him, I started branching focus off into every part of my collection and making sure that it was something that I did on purpose.
0: So you mentioned um, when you were younger, you didn't really collect any sports stuff. Actively, um, were you a sports fan at that time? And if so, what were your franchises? Yeah, so i I wasn't too
1: much of a sports fan as a kid. I could mm-hmm. play sports, um, I could watch it some, but I didn't really have anything to latch onto. The Grizzlies were still young and honestly just so awful. Mm-hmm. It was fun to go to the games. The games right. were a great experience, going to the forum and cheering them on in person, all of that. Um, but if I wasn't at the game, I wasn't watching the game. You know, Mm -hmm. this is just, it was misery. I mean, especially in those early two thousands, I was like, Oh man. Um, Is there only so much Mile Swift you can take at once? There is only so much Mile Swift you can take at once. (laughs) And so I would, I would watch a little bit of it, but, um, I wasn't much of a sports fan and that's why I didn't really get into it. I also, um, I wanted to, I don't know. I wanted to use my money on other things at the time. And so I wasn't really buying packs or, Uh, Opening anything, buying any singles. I just had what I had and I enjoyed it as I couldn't enjoy it, but that was mostly it.
0: Your history is a little different because a lot of people have this kind of rediscovery period, um, whereas you're going back and you're seeing a lot of stuff for the first time now. So, um, precisely. In a way, you know, even though I enjoy the nostalgia aspect of it, and that's a big part of cards for me, in a way, it's like, man, you know, I, I'm kind of jealous of, of you getting to go back and discover all these things for the first time. So um, but, but that's why we share and that's why we have dialogue here. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad to have you on today. You know, obviously that history is a a major influence of your collecting pyramid, which is something that I've referenced on here before. And and that's a concept that Alex AKA Connell collection introduced to the show. You talked about how, you know, you kind of decided that you're going to go towards Mike Conley. And I know he's a part of that pyramid. Um, You posted your pyramid sometime around January. And and I think I made a comment like, I I can't connect the dots here. There were a few things on there that, that I just couldn't wrap my head around. So take us through that pyramid and make it make sense for us. Make it make sense. I will
1: do my best. So I I listened to that first episode that you had with, uh, with Alex Connell and I, was really interested in that idea of, like I mentioned earlier, bringing my focus to every level of the hobby. And that was a great way to structure it for me. And so uh, I kind of latched onto that, started thinking about it. And it's, uh, it's changed a little bit. And I think it'll change probably every year uh, just to kind of keep things interesting. And as I kind of grow and evolve. Uh, but my, my pyramid is really based on kind of my own interpretation of how that structure benefits me best, which is um, just the level of focus that I have per tier, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So, um, you know, if you look at the posts, Mike Conley's at the top, I I have a hyper focus on that. I'm always chasing the next Mike Conley card. I'm always thinking about which Mike Conley cards I need, stuff like that. And then the next tier, I have, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Who's a current Grizzly star and as well as a couple of WNBA stars and Enrique Gumbawale and Asia Wilson. And those are kind of my, my focuses that aren't the focus, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. So I'm always looking for the next cards of them as well, uh, but I'm not putting the amount of effort and intention into it. I'm not trying to build the same thing that I'm trying to build with Conley.
0: Now, I I figure, sorry, not to cut you off here though, but I figure also that uh, aside from Jaron Jackson, that the other two don't have a lot of stuff to begin with. Um, So you don't have to really spend a lot of time Looking for them so much? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. WNBA for the for several years now
1: uh, has only had one set per year. Mm-hmm. That started with Rittenhouse and then has continued up through Panini. They did uh, 2019 Don Russ and then they've done the last two years Prism, but they've never done multiple sets. And so Enrique uh, is now going into her uh, f- fourth year. I think she was she was a 2019 draftee. so she's got very she's got three sets. Uh, Asia has four from being drafted in 2018. And so uh, the reason I chose them as my WBA folks were, um, you know, not because they both knocked out my Mississippi state bulldogs in the, in the final four, but actually because they, um, you know, they were players that I could grow along with as I got into that sport more and more.
0: Mm-hmm. And their, uh, their rainbows aren't as big either in Prism. I don't, and I don't know off the top of my head, not how many cards are there, but uh, nowhere close to the, what 45 or whatever we're at in the, uh, NBA prism. Yeah, no, it's like 15 or 20. Yeah. So that's manageable. Um, very, so then you've got your third tier. I think that's the one that threw me off. So I'm (laughs) looking at your third tier here. Cause I I get the WNBA girls there and I get Jaron Jackson, but -hmm. then we go to Dak Prescott, Bill Russell, and Sharif Abdur Rahim. So now when I say make it make sense, I probably just mean that middle tier of that pyramid. So tell me about that. Yeah,
1: sure. So um, that really is coming back to the focus part. They're not related to each other so much as they are to uh, the just the level of focus I give to them. Uh, DAC is a throwback to my you know, Mississippi State alumni status. Um, okay, just, that,
0: that's the connection I, I was yeah. missing out on there. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if you look down at the the final tier, you know, they're at the bottom um, it, Mississippi state cards in general are, are kind of that bottom level of focus of something that I'll always pick up, but I'll never really look after too much. Uh, but Dak in particular is one that i I'll, I'll try to pick up his uh, Mississippi state like collegiate stuff in particular. Uh, and then Bill Russell, you know, he's just a, he's an all-time great who is within my price range. Um, I don't understand quite why I guess it's, you know, just the lack of active player material. There's a lot of reasons why it's bill, but, um, you know, he's easy to go after and, and then Sharif, um, Sharif is there because I can collect great cards of his that mirror kind of like Kobe's career. So I can get some of those iconic cards, Uh, without breaking the bank and he's, you know, he's got the Grizzlies jersey on and all that. So there's a connection there as well.
0: I'm a huge fan of the low tier player um, with very important cards concept. Um, I I think I grabbed a a Jonathan Benders credential for super cheap, not long ago. So uh, it's nice to be able to do that and still kind of have a a sample of these cards in front of you. Um, So you Mm -hmm. mentioned your last tier on the pyramid, you mentioned the Mississippi state portion of it. And then you have all WNBA, you got all Memphis Grizzlies, all hoops, hall of fame or autos. And, and then, like I said, the Mississippi state, are those more impulse buys or how would you describe that? Yeah,
1: I would, I would describe it as smaller sets, um, you know, doing some set building, like for WNBA, I'm putting together a set every year, uh, you know, kind of starting with 2019 when I got into it, um, moving along and it's like for the first year I did the the WNBA Don Russ optic hollow set, that parallel set, which is incredibly rare, um, super shiny, and then I just kind of continued that with the much more common Prism Silver sets from there on, and uh, and then I'll just pick up whatever singles kind of come in front of me that I think are a good buy, things like that, but aren't necessarily my two main players, and it kind of the the it kind of goes along with all the other um, all those other categories is just kind of picking up a set that maybe encapsulates it like with Grizzlies. I just pick up a player from the entire roster for each season, stuff like that. And um, it is more casual, I would say.
0: So I I don't get a lot of WNBA talk on here. So I I am going to sneak one more question in since I got you here. Um, I know there's been several, I would say big transactions or big signings here in the off season so far. Um, I know Liz Cambage, I think she went to the Sparks. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: she did. We'll see what happens with that. She's it's a, an interesting big man pairing of her and NECA.
0: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not uh, of course, I and I don't know the league well enough to really know, you know, if that will work or, or how I think about that. But um, I was a little curious. I reached out to uh, our friend Clips and Balls uh, to see what he had to say about it as well. He's my my go to for all things WNBA Um, And then you were bragging recently about one of uh, the Indiana fever players that uh, was traded away. You were very happy about that trade. And of course, here, here I am trying to, trying to follow a team, trying to get into this and and they stink. (laughs) Um, and, And now they just got a bunch more draft picks, which they haven't used responsibly in the past anyway. So congratulations on that.
1: Yeah. Pick responsibly as they say. Uh, no, that was, I mean, you're referring to Tierra McCowan, who is a Mississippi State alum. I loved watching her in the final four for a couple of years. And like I said, she got knocked out in the finals by Enrique and Asia um in, in consecutive years. And um, and so when she went to the Dallas Wings, I can now watch her uh with alongside Enrique Um, that sounded like an interesting pair-up for me. I can now kill two birds with one stone watching uh, former Bulldog that I love. And then also, you know, one of my main PC players, I promise Kyle, it was only a little personal towards you, um, but most of <laughs> was, was the former. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. Or by the way, the, uh, the fever still have uh, one of my other Bulldog alums. So I'm happy to still watch Victoria Vivians.
0: Okay. I was going to say, I, I couldn't tell you one person that went to Mississippi state. So <laughs> I'm glad you let me know who that was. Um, yeah, I'm looking I, I it don't follow you. a lot of college in general. All right. Well, looking back, I think you were one of my first Collector Classified segments. So, um, you know, I, I in doing this episode, I don't want to skip out on Collector Classifieds. I still want to do that. And I figured, you know what, yeah. let me just bring Carter in on this and, and we can do this one together. So I'm going to play this clip for our listeners real quick. And then I want to take a moment to maybe brainstorm some ways that we might be able uh, to help this person out.
1: My name is Ian Henderson, also known by my Instagram handle of Kiyoki's Cardboard. I collect Danielle Marshall cards, specifically those serial numbered to 100 and below. In addition, I'm trying to complete the 2003-04 Fleur Vault Black and White Parallel Set, each of which is serial numbered out of 199. If you've got leads to help me finish either of those
0: projects, please let me know. All right. Well, thank you, Ian. Um, hopefully, we can find some of that stuff you're looking for and um i will say i i inadvertently stumbled into something that ian was looking for not long ago he mentioned that black and white set in there and um i don't maybe 3 years ago he reached out to me and he's like you know does is the larry brown in this set does it even exist i'm like yes i i promise i've seen it in the past you know it's numbered 199 it won't be hard to find it'll show up that thing hasn't none of them have shown up in 3 years on ebay or anywhere And, um, I was digging at a card shop in Tampa a couple of weekends ago through just junk boxes and there it was. So I, of course I had to message him and we worked out a deal. Um, but it it was funny, you know, a lot of things in the hobby come full circle and, you know, the the longer you're in this thing, the longer you're going to figure that out and, and experience that for yourself. Uh, Carter, do you have any thoughts on maybe something that Ian's looking for?
1: So I was a little late hopping on the recording because I was uh, after you sent me that for the first time. I was listening through it and I was like, okay, now I gotta look up these highlights. So I was, I was watching Danielle Marshall highlights and learned something about the Toronto Raptors all-time record for three-pointers in a game, held by uh, the aforementioned Danielle. So that was really interesting to watch that clip of him just, you know, hitting. I think it was like t- a dozen of them in a game.
0: Without watching that clip, I'm going to guess a lot of them were in the corner.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit all over the place. I mean, he hit some key wing. It was great uh, watching that because you just love to, you love to see it in a guy's eyes and in his body language when he knows he's feeling it. And that was certainly him in that, that highlight clip. But, uh, you know, that I don't know that I've ever noticed, um, Danielle marshall cards anywhere so Mm-mm. it's probably like one of those things like you you never notice a certain type of vehicle until you buy one and then you see it everywhere
0: so so um, now you're gonna notice every time you go through your box <laughs> Danielle marshall oh there's a Cavs card there's a what was it hornets card i think he was there he was on a number of teams yeah. in fact i i kind of forgot about the raptors stuff until you mentioned that but um he bounced around a little bit Absolutely. but he lasted anybody that lasts that long in the nba you know, quality player. I, and I know yeah. people, you know, even like Kwame Brown, I know a lot of people were throwing jabs at him just because he didn't live up to, to the potential. Supposedly that dude was around in the NBA for like a dozen years. Um, so anyone that can stick yeah. around that long in my eyes is, yeah, is a good NBA absolutely.
1: guy. He, uh, I've I had his basketball reference pulled up and, you know, if you've ever looked on there, they've got all of the known, um, nicknames for <laughs> the, the given player. Um, one of his nicknames allegedly allegedly is big homie. So big homie. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go up to different tables. It shows from now on. I say, Hey, you got any big homie? And if somebody responds, I know I've hit the jackpot for, uh, for my man. Well, so. <laughs> it,
0: it might have to be a, a table from Ian himself. So, um, I don't, I can't say anyone else that I know of that would be hoarding all those Donnell Marshall cards, but that's what makes this thing so fun. So Ian, Probably not. Uh, probably not. So Ian, though, um, I am going to try and post your handles and some stuff and, and all kidding aside, let's try and find you some Danielle Marshall stuff that you need. All right. Well, a little yeah. earlier, um, we didn't talk about Danielle Marshall. We talked about some of the guys that you're collecting, some of the guys you're looking for. Um, and that was all part of your pyramid, which was then also a part of my hobby goals episode. That was your response yeah. to that. So thank you very much. Cause you went just above yeah. and beyond, um, I don't like to give homework. I'm a teacher. No one does it, right? I know that. So I just know not to give it in the first place. You did it. You're the kid that did the homework. So I appreciate you. Um, you're making our class a better place here. So if you don't mind though, I'd like to take some of the different categories of your hobby goals and run through them. And um, I know we're not too far into the new year yet, but maybe we can even see if you've made some progress. And, and I know yesterday. Um, we've kind of hinted at it already, but I think you made some progress yesterday. So definitely, let's start off with uh, your first category, which was budget and capital. This is something that's relevant to everyone that's listening, no matter who they collect or what they collect. I think I have something to learn from you here. Tell me a little bit about that category.
1: Yeah. So it, it came about as I was really starting to think through my hobby goals for the first time uh, a couple of years ago. And it was when I, it was when the the pandemic first hit and I had all the time in the world to focus on this and sit down and go through it. And I realized I really needed goals for collecting goals have been a huge part of my life, like in my professional life, my personal life. I'm just, I'm all about goals. I'm all about setting a focus. And, and I noticed that I make the most progress that way. And so, you know, pretty quickly into my emergence into collecting, I needed to do that. And as I was thinking through that, I thought, you know, I need to really uh, segment this out into all of the different things that I need to focus on that kind of work together. And so naturally, you know, cards cost money. And so mm-hmm. budgeting, um, having the capital to buy cards was an important thing for me right off, right off the bat uh, to really put some, some hard goals around to make sure that I maximize all of that. And uh, one of my goals last year was to uh, develop a self-sustaining budget um, to where I can, buy the cards that I can buy off of um, money that I make from uh, selling and trading cards. And so uh, that way I'm able to have a lot of freedom in what I do with my hobby. You know, I'm, I'm married and, um, you know, the wife wants to not be nervous about, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing in the hobby room, uh, you know, what I'm doing on eBay and and such. And so, um, doing that gives her a lot of peace of mind. I was able to, you know, um, set up my own kind of financial situation where the only money going in and out is cards. Um, cards related. And so, uh, that way I'm not touching our income and I can really have a lot more, uh, freedom to work with, you know, it it may limit me in terms of monetary level. Um, but you know, that's, that's going to happen at some point anyways. And so might as well, um, stick within, you know, what I can do in terms of, you know, um, just maintaining my, my hobby for myself. And so, that's where it really started. And with that, I had to create a budget that I, where I can really see what I'm doing. You know, that was mm-hmm. the main point was not to uh, not to know where the limit was in my spending, although that's a, an aspect of it. It was really to know what am I doing and, and how am I doing it uh, when it comes to my, my spending habits and um, you know, helping me to set goals around the amount of uh, cash that I have reserved and, and why do I need that? You know um, what kind of cards do I need that for? And then what kind of money do I need to be uh, using to to accomplish goals in real time? Stuff like that.
0: So if you don't mind me asking then, um, seeing as you didn't really have a legacy collection, right? It's not like someone passed some old vintage down to you that blew up during the pandemic. Um, How do you create something that's self-sustaining when you didn't really have anything there to begin with? That's a great question, Kyle. How about you answer that for me so that I can have something to go on.
1: (laughs) It's something I'm learning in real time. I mean, it's uh, really what it is, is is Mm self-control not going outside of myself and understanding when it's time to let go of a card uh, is a big one. Even if it's something that I picked up uh, to be a PC card long-term we all know that that changes. And so just understanding when it's, when that's changed and when it's time to, to move on for some from something, but also knowing when to spend a dollar on a PC card that's going to be locked in place for a while, versus when to spend time uh, and money on something like what you talk about a lot is you know spending t- money on lots and and things that I know I can enjoy in the short term, but then let go of very quickly and and do so maybe even at a profit where I can enjoy more things in the future. Uh, that's kind of what it all revolves around,
0: right? Because you kind of got hooked on something that could be, or you got hooked to the hobby is what I should say, um, Mm -hmm. by doing something that could be dangerous where people, you know, will buy a pack and hope that they can hit that really expensive card or buy into breaks and hope they can hit that really expensive card. And I would say like 9.9 times out of 10, that doesn't happen. Um, And then you hit a Luca Teal explosion in your, basically your first pack. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, it seems like you're not a degenerate ripper. Uh, it seems like you did not develop that mindset even though you know you had proof of concept right in front of you or seemingly you had proof of concept yeah um, so kind of how did that you know how did that shape and how did that form so
1: very quickly uh, my focus shifted from uh, from buying a couple of loose hoops packs at Walmart to wanting to have cards that relate to what I enjoy watching uh, when it comes to sports you know who I enjoy following and like we covered that, that was the Grizzlies. You know, I was like, if I'm going to make this worth it, I need to be buying Grizzlies cards. And I very quickly understood that buying a hoops pack or even buying a Prism pack was not going to guarantee me any Grizzlies cards that I cared for. And so it was a pretty quick transition from, I can spend 20 bucks on a blaster box and get a, you know, a base Jaron card and not care about it or I could spend that 20 bucks on a Mike Conley RPA because that's what they were going for back then.
0: I could be really happy. She's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Conley's one of those guys that, um, even the other day I was looking at his Chrome rookies cause I had a Chrome rookie in my show, uh, show inventory. And I think I ended up putting like $8 on it, which is probably higher than they go for anyway. It's just, I couldn't, couldn't just bring myself to sell one for five bucks. Well, then I pulled up the refractors, which, are not like the Prism Silvers because they're they're limited. They're numbered to fourteen ninety nine from two thousand seven, yeah. and they were selling for like twenty five dollars. And I'm like, you you got to be kidding me! Like I'm not a huge Mike Conley fan, but that seems disrespectful.
1: Yeah, uh, well, it's I mean, it's just it's it is a proof of market market focus and what people are really actively into. And I think even for jazz fans, they're not looking to pick up a bunch of Mike's rookies. I think they mm-hmm. want to get the cool available jazz Jersey cards um, that are out there, but I mean, they were, they were lower Kyle, than 25 bucks. When I was really focusing on picking up his refractor rookies, they were $5 yeah. and I was oh, able to geez. get a lot. Right? Um, you guys can't <laughs> see on the screen, but over the zoom call, I'm showing, uh, I'm showing off a bunch of um, refractor rookies that I got for four or five bucks a piece. There's, there's um, gotta
0: be at least 30 of them there there's 45 45 okay <laughs> yes I had a I had a stadium club gold refractor rookie of him that I got on Com c and I know stadium clubs kind of secondary to the other brands at that time but I got it for like nine bucks and I think I ended up selling it for 14 but I, I, I oh, yeah. saw it for nine and I'm like there's no way that this thing is only worth nine dollars well I guess it was worth 14 hold on Let's pause this conversation for a moment here. Rumor has it that some of you guys are not keeping things, um, gem mint, so to speak. Well, as one of our favorite marketplace presidents once told us, it's time to make conservation acceptable. And lucky for you, this week's episode is brought to you in part by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming, who recently launched their new performance package. And while other companies' kits might, uh, make the pain flow, Manscaped has created the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. You get the lawnmower 4.0, you get the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer, you get the Crop Preserver Below the Waist Deodorant, and you get the Crop Reviver Below the Waist Toner. Oh yeah, you get two free gifts too, a pair of Manscaped boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. It's time to take care of yourself. Go to Manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code WAX at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code WAX, W-A-X. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped, the one and only trimmer endorsed by the Wax Museum podcast. Um, Okay, so let's talk about the relational component, which is next. Um, And I think you have that pulled up in front of you. Do you want to run through that for us?
1: Yeah. So this is something that um, I was mentioning to you. uh, I posted yesterday about being an introvert at a card (laughs) show and how much it takes out of me. And, and I really am a pretty hardcore introvert. And so uh, the relational aspect of the hobby was something that took me about a year or so to come around to just Mm -hmm. because it's a lot to navigate, you know, trying to dive into a world and, and connect with a community of people that you don't have any prior connection to. I really came on, right before the, the the pandemic and so um just like i said it took me about a year to get into wanting that community aspect and uh right around then was when COVID hit and all of a sudden card shows weren't available um uh, you know things like that were just not on the table so um so i started with instagram made a lot of great connections there in, including the one that uh, you know i share with you and and so i kind of worked with that for a while And then, you know, got into card shows as I was able to. And so now it's about really putting structure onto that and making sure that as I'm collecting, I'm not just focusing on the pieces of cardboard moving in and out of my spare room, but I'm focusing on, you know, the, the people behind those, you know, where I got them and where they're going and, um, you know, who I'm spending time with. And, um, and that's what really keeps me from getting burnt out on this because the, you know, the collecting aspect can be exhausting, Mm-hmm. Um, but making friendships is, is not as much, um, right? you know, and so it's just making sure that I'm investing in that so that I stay connected in a way that's really meaningful to me.
0: Yeah. And I would say I'm an introvert as well, even though I, I do host a show. I mean, that's just me and a microphone. You know, that's a lot easier than being relational. Uh, I know sometimes people get the impression that, um, I I'm super relational. Well, it, it's very, um, I have to force myself to do that. Um, Because I know it's healthy, you know, and also I guess even on the selfish side, I it's it's hard to collect without being relational. You just miss out on so many, you know. I talk about all the connections I've made and and how those come full circle. Um, If you're not doing that, you're missing out. And like I said, I I think it is very a very healthy component of the hobby, and that leads us to our next one here, our next category, which is experiential. Because if you are being relational then you're also, you're most likely doing that through experiences. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that. And then if if you also want to mention what you were so busy doing yesterday, I think it's time to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, if you're going to be relational, you're going to be experiential. And really the reason why I have this broken down into four separate categories is because uh, they they all relate to each other. And so if you set goals for yourself, whoever's listening, you know, you'll realize quickly that Um, you need to focus your goals on all sorts of different categories, because if one of those categories falls behind, because you're not focusing on it, it can limit the way that you accomplish other goals. And so uh, like my relational goals, it's really hard to accomplish that if I'm not focusing on the experiences, the support and expand those relationships and those networks, and then vice versa, going for different experiences, it's kind of harder to get into those uh, experiences if you're not investing in the relationships that come along with them. So, like you mentioned, this past weekend I was at in Nashville at the big show that was happening there, and that was one of the bigger shows that, that I've been to. Um, not the biggest. I've, I've been out to Dallas a couple uh, once, and and that was bigger, uh, but it was definitely the biggest one that I've ever set up a table at, which is what I was doing. That's why I, you know, I pulled a 20 hour day yesterday, and uh, why I'm, you know, droopy eyed <laughs> as I'm talking to you, uh, but. I went and did that show. And, and the reason that I was able to do that show was because of the relationships that I built here in Memphis with collectors who go out and they set up tables there. I said, hey, why don't I tag along, go with these guys? And I wouldn't have done a table there if it had just been by myself. It was because mm-hmm. of those relationships and investing um, in the the experience alongside of those guys. That's why it was so worth it and why it was so meaningful. And and so it's it's been those relationships that have led me into new experiences, new experiences that have led me into new relationships. And so that's why I have things on there, like attending at least 10 shows, you know, I want to be going almost every month to a show, because every time I go to a show, I'm meeting somebody new. Every time I go to a show, I'm seeing different kinds of cards that I may not have noticed before, or, you know, based on what's available, I'm kind of, um, you know, understanding more about the the ecosystem of cards and things like that. You know, like I said, it just all runs into each other.
0: What's the show scene like? Um, in the Memphis Nashville area right now
1: it's growing I was even talking with the guys on the way back uh, last night um, you know one of the guys that I ride with uh, rode with from the show he's the promoter for the show here in in Memphis uh, it's out in Bartlett, which is a suburb and um, you know Beckett called and, and asked him about coming out to the show which is um, for us is big time because mm-hmm. it wasn't too long ago that the the show was under 40 tables and you know now it's it's approaching double that just because of the the boom to the hobby, Kyle, obviously, mm-hmm. but but also just the, the connections that have been made. Like one of my relational connections is connecting more with Memphis area collectors. And um, that has paid dividends in the last couple of years, guys just kind of networking. And that's happening in pockets all throughout Tennessee. And that's leading to more and more shows, bigger and bigger shows. Nashville has grown exponentially. They're doing their first multi-day uh, this summer. And so um, it's getting up there. It, it's getting a lot better.
0: So now that you've had about, let's say, half a day to reflect on it, which I don't even know if that's enough because, you know, the whole experience is exhausting. Like you said, um, now that you've been on the other side of the table, do you have any um, takeaways or in, is there any experience that you gained that you don't think you would have gained otherwise?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Doing a big show is so much different than doing a regular size for a smaller show, depending on what your you know definition of that is. But it was over... 350 tables at Nashville yesterday. I think any of us would call that a big show. That's a very so, big show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was huge. It was huge. And so that was by far the biggest one I've ever set up at. I thought that I knew kind of the ins and outs, because I've done it several times of what it means to set up and, and do the dealer side of the, of the, the deal. And so I was feeling pretty confident going in. Uh, You mentioned uh, looking at some of my photos of my table that I shared on Instagram and how put together it was. I put in way more work to my table than I ever have. I wanted it to look good.
0: Was that a story or was that a a post? Is that still up? uh,
1: It's, it's a, it was a story, but I can repost it later okay, uh, yeah. for folks to I see. I want
0: and and I say this because I was impressed. Like if you see my boxes at shows, there might be one printed sign that I printed like three years ago. But outside of that, it's like me scratching stuff. Like I have a box um, that I literally just put with Sharpie five dollars entire box. Like that was mm-hmm. the kind of the I got you know exhausted with doing all that stuff. Your boxes had signs, logos. It was it was mm-hmm. neat like. Looking at it online, I knew exactly what boxes I wanted to look in at your table. I mean, that stuff was immaculate. So I, I want people Bingo. to see that. I was impressed by that. So do you think that paid off?
1: Yes, I, I do think it did. And you you said exactly what my motivation was behind that. I've never put that much signage or anything on my table. But I was thinking about the the kind of guys that come and set up at these big shows. They've got multiple tables that all look uniform and they've got a big banner behind them that says, buy, sell, trade, we pay cash. It says, you know, all these things like that. And it, for a guy like me who is setting up one six foot table in a sea of big time dealers, uh, I was like, I've got to, folks are going to skip over me if they don't know Mm -hmm. exactly what I have. And so I thought, you know, putting up some signage could help people to identify like, okay, he's telling me exactly what they have. I can identify as I am walking past whether I need to stop or not, and I got a lot more that way, I think, uh, than I might have otherwise. So I'm just curious, and I'm not
0: going to judge you either way. It was everything priced. I had every single card at my table priced. Do you think that? Because this is kind of a debate I'm having with people. Uh, I'm I'm team pricing, but I know not everyone is, and I respect that. Do you mm-hmm. feel like that worked to your advantage?
1: No doubt. Um, I think people are trying to save money. You know, like they say, everybody wants a deal. But at a a show like that, where there's almost 400 tables, and you only have the one day more than that, I think people are trying to save minutes. And mm-hmm. so uh, folks want to know what things are priced. They, they want to shorten the negotiation. They want to shorten the evaluation as they're looking through your cards of whether they even want to start a negotiation. And I think for me, that's what it comes down to is just being very clear about uh, what I'm asking for everything. Even my case where folks couldn't pick up the cards, they, would, they could just look at them. I have them front priced, the stickers mm-hmm. on the front. So they don't even have to ask, what do you have on that? What do you have on this? Um, they can look and they can do the math in their head to decide if they even want to talk to me. Or if they want to move on, and I think that puts people at ease, and they actually, ironically, maybe spend more time looking at my table than otherwise. And that—that's all anecdotal evidence, Kyle. Obviously, I don't have right. you know any numbers, but that's how I felt about it, and that was the kind of motivation.
0: The last component of your pyramid that I want to get to today—we've already covered the the main part of the pyramid where you had you know Mike Conley and Jaron Jackson and so on and so on. Um, you had two other slides that went with it as well, with the collection yeah. portion. You had singles and then you had sets. Now, I think some of those singles, that might be the list that you, um, that we posted for your collector classified, but tell me a little bit about the singles and the collection and where that fits in and, and maybe if you've made some progress on that or not.
1: Yeah. So I would say I could go through here and I can look at all of my goals from each category and, and I kind of know which categories I'm making more progress in, which ones I'm making less progress in. And I will say right off the bat that finding the actual cards that I'm looking for has been the one where I've made the least progress so far. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm, I'm kind of okay with that because the natural progression of these goals dictates that I build up the capital. I need to really go after those without completely exhausting myself, Um, networking and trying to find the best ways to acquire those cards rather than just going for the first one I see. Cause some of these I could get, I could get on eBay right now and I could hit the bin but like you said, um, you know, if you're not building those relationships, you're missing out, um, not on, just on an important aspect of the hobby, but on an important way of acquiring cards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, folks who are newer in the hobby can easily fall into the assumption of uh, whatever is on eBay is what's available. And that's so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think your right. collector classifieds are a great way of highlighting that and pointing out that the networking is an important way to acquire as well.
0: Yeah, you hinted at it there. This is actually was going to be my next question. Are you prepared for what it's going to take for that 2012 Mike Conley gold prism? Not if it comes up, but when it comes up, are you ready? Uh, I,
1: I think I'm ready for that one. There's a handful that I'm ready for. I just haven't found the right opportunity. And I'll tell you, I have not ever seen any evidence that there is a 2012 Prism Gold Mike Conley in circulation. I'm sure there is. There's 10 of right. them. There's got to be at least one, but I don't know of it. I mean, it could be that all of the ones that are open are in a set and they're going to stay there. I have no idea.
0: The last time I heard, and I'm, I'm not plugged into the with these guys, so I could be off. The last time I heard, I know there were at least three people that we're trying to do a gold set. And mm-hmm. um, when I say trying, I mean, they had a, a pretty significant chunk of it. That's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for a guy like Conley. However, you used your experiences yesterday and you used those relationships yesterday. And I don't yeah. even know how it came about. So I'm curious about the story, but you sent me a picture. You found a Mike Conley one-on-one yesterday. Um, tell me yes. which one it was and and then tell us kind of how that came to be.
1: Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I came up with a bunch of friends, uh, and we all rode together from Memphis. And so we were set up in a consecutive string of tables and, and we spent the day kind of watching each other's tables while the others would kind of go around and peek at stuff. And so as we kind of cycled through that, um, like I said, I mean, those relationships are important and, um, I want to give out a shout out to, uh, one of my friends who spotted that card in a, in a display case for me, um, uh, because he's the reason why I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. Um, but my friend, Jonathan, who is actually the promoter that I mentioned for the show here, um, he, uh, he saw that card, asked about it, turned out it was a one of one. He thought it was a rookie card. I think the guy who owned it thought it was a rookie card. I realize now it's actually a second year, but I don't care. Um, because it was still super kind
0: of looked like a rookie card. It's like, I think he's just, it's more like a photo shoot. Like he's standing, right? yeah well it's it's a game
1: shot but it's um you know the background is removed it's like a cropped photo uh, but yeah i found this this one of one I'll, I'll post it on it's from tops hardwood and uh and he he saw that as he was making his rounds and then later i was making my rounds and i saw a card that he was looking for in the exact same case and i came back and i was like hey did you see that card i think you need to take that home with you and he's like yes And while I have you, and he told me (laughs) about the Mike Conley and I was able to make a deal for it, um, that even with it not being a rookie card was just a fantastic deal. And you, that never happens, right? You never see like a perfect PC card at a show, but it was just one of those, you know, happenstance things that, um, again, experience was what allowed me to have access to that. It would have never popped up on eBay. Um, but valuing experiences helps me to value my collection. And, And like I said, it's just, it's all connected.
0: Well, Carter, I would say I I really enjoyed hearing about your experiences today. Um, in fact, I, I want it. Maybe we'll have a follow up toward the end of the year and kind of see how your goals are progressing. But um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show. You've got me convinced that I might have to make it up to Nashville this summer. I'm kind of figuring out, um, you know, maybe I didn't plan so well for the national. I might have to have an alternate plan, which, you know, that's OK. I'm not sure if I'm. I'm um, real excited about Atlantic City anyway, but like I said, might have to make my way up there. But anyway, before I let you go, um, I want to give you a chance to plug your social media handles, anything you're working on, or maybe anything you're looking for that we didn't cover here. These next few moments are yours.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it goes without saying that one of my biggest plugs is uh, help me accomplish my goals. <laughs> go, go follow, you know, go find me on Instagram at MC basketball, PC. Um, You can scroll down and you'll see a big purple post with my goals on it. And I really appreciate you, Kyle, for encouraging folks to to share your goals online because I just it just never really occurred to me to to throw it out there. Uh, But when I heard that on your podcast, I was like, okay, I have to do that because I have all these goals already listed out. Um, But do that. Help me help me accomplish my goals. Um, You know, other than that, uh, one of my goals in particular, by the way, is to connect with Memphis area collectors a lot more. Uh started a group chat for Grizzlies collectors, so that's growing. I do not know if there's another Grizzly collector listening to this. I have to think there's at least one or two. But even if you're collecting a player or something who's on the Grizzlies or
0: was, was on the Grizzlies. I going to say, there might be some John Morant people out there after these last few weeks. That is a good point. That is a good point. Um, but
1: yeah, I mean, reach out to me. I would love to add you to that chat. It's growing. It's really fun. Um, you know, we talk about a lot of cool stuff. Uh, our, I mentioned our, our Mid South Card Show. I'll plug that as well. Um, you, can, you can follow us at Mid South Card Show um, on Instagram. And that's, that's a show out here in Bartlett, which is outside of Memphis, and, and it's growing a lot. Um, go follow the promoter, uh, Jonathan Hardy. You can find him at Jay Hardy Cards. Go uh, give him a virtual high five for helping hook me up with that Mike Conley.
0: All right. And I'll try and get uh, as best as I can. I'm not always the best social media guy, but I'll try and get some of that stuff listed as well when we uh, promote this episode. So once again, thanks Carter. Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, I appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Carter again for coming on the show and sharing some of his hobby goals and hobby experiences with us. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at WaxMuseumPodcast or on Twitter under the handle at WaxMuseumPC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com